Hello and welcome to your Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me are Tori. Hello, Internet. Dave. Hi there. And Craig. Hello. Uh, so we start every week with Good Thing. Who wants to go first? I'll go. <laughs> My Good Thing this week is Overclocked Remix. You can find them at ocremix.org. And I'll just read right off the website. Founded in 1999, Overclocked Remix is a community dedicated to the appreciation and promotion of video game music as an art form. So it's a site where you can go to find remixes of video games. They uh, recently, within the last year or so, advanced their search tag. So if you like a certain kind of genre or certain instruments, you can search for them, as well as search by game or search by a specific song within a game. So really cool, and uh, they've evolved a lot over the last uh, 20 years and really increased the standards and the quality of remixes that come through the website. Really great. I love OC Remix. Love it. Yeah, on the topic of 20 years, um, I think I've been listening to them for probably a good 15 of those. Uh, my personal favorite track is a uh, cover of the Super Mario Brothers 2 theme, uh, done by a four-piece sort of jazz instrumental. Um, it's called Super Buck Jazz, and it's wonderful. I like a whole lot of stuff off of their Final Fantasy VI album, Balance and Ruin. Uh, some really great tracks on there. As far as their albums go, I recommend more zoning in on individual songs that you like when you're first getting into them but my favorite album by them would be threshold of a dream the link's awakening uh kind of ambient soundtrack yes album. this is completely unrelated but my cat is bothering me for dinner so i gave her a tiny piece of rice and she totally ate it and loves it that's and your good she's, thing she's no <laughs> It's not my good thing, but she's going to keep being way up my butt until I either don't have food or I give her all of it. So that's that's where I'm at while we're recording today. Uh, all right, who wants to go next? I guess me. You know what's good? And I'm a goofball for liking this. Rice Krispie Treat cereal. <laughs> it's like my favorite cereal. And I'm upset because Amazon used to have a good, really good, really good deal on it. Um, and I had it delivered like monthly to my house, not just one box. I would get like four <laughs> boxes a month or something, but then they like changed the price. So you can only get the same price, I think, or close to it for only three boxes. I'm like, man, this is worth it. So, uh, every now and then I have to get it from like Walmart or something, which sucks because I hate Walmart and that's like my antique good thing. But, uh, yeah, Rice Krispie Treat cereal is the best. Does your Walmart not have the grocery pickup service? I don't, I don't typically do anything at Walmart, so I don't know. Well, if you get on their website and look for grocery pickup, please no. Uh, I know. <laughs> no, no, I know. My Walmart here, uh, you can order your groceries online, and you can make an appointment to pick them up, and it's free. There's no extra charge for it. You just have to make your order in advance, which I know some people aren't organized enough to do that, but 
I would much rather do that than actually have to set foot inside the Walmart. So it's true. Uh, yeah, I, I more like don't like spending money at Walmart. But what are you gonna do? You wouldn't be spending it at Walmart. You'd be spending it on Walmart.com. That's the same. Okay, Craig has broken the spirit of this whole thing by by lightly mentioning a thing he likes and then going on at length about a thing he doesn't, so... <laughs> I can't help it! It's where it's sold! Tori, bring us back. Okay. <laughs> My good thing this week is uh, the Witcher series, and I don't mean the video mm. games. I've already told oh. you guys that I love The Witcher 3... And that I consider Geralt of Rivia to be my personal trainer because I play while I'm on the elliptical. Uh, but before I played the game, I read books. And it's a fantastic fantasy series. It's translated from, I think it's Polish. I don't know. It's some, it, it was originally foreign, but the English translation is just fantastic. And they are amazing books. And I recommend them to anyone who enjoys fantasy literature, which would be our target audience here on the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast. So the first book is called The Last Wish. And um, yeah, highly recommend. All right. I still don't have any sort of experience with the Witcher series, so I can't really comment on this. Um, well, I saw on Reddit that uh, for the Netflix series they're making, apparently they've cast Henry Cavill. Oh, neat. Which... Wouldn't have been my first choice, but I I am trepidatiously hopeful about that. So, uh, I mean, dude's got range. Uh, just go rewatch Stardust and look for yeah. him. Yeah, and it, it yes, <laughs> any excuse to rewatch Stardust. But it it says to me that Netflix is taking this seriously and putting some money into it. So there's that. Also, Henry Cable is a fan of Brandon Sanderson. Oh. Uh, he posted an Instagram of himself reading, I want to say, Words of Radiance at one point. So so there's that. Well, Henry, if you happen to be listening to our podunk little podcast here, I've got my fingers crossed for you as Geralt of Rivia. Um, I like in the trailers to the newest Mission Impossible that he, like, cocks his arms before he beats up Tom Cruise. As, as though they are literal guns. It's, it's fun. Um... So, on to mine. My good thing. Uh, my good thing this week is a YouTube Let's Play series um, on the newest Spider-Man game, the one that was very recently released for the PlayStation 4, or if you're listening to this on the recording, which I'm pretty sure everyone will be, because I don't think anyone's actually in Twitch right now, um, came out, would have then been a couple of months ago. Um, anyway, Spider-Man, PS4, I've been watching a Let's Play series by a gentleman by the name of The Rad Brad. Um, each video is, you know, something in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 minutes long. Um, it's just him playing, just, like, he's not, he doesn't really have goals, he just sort of shows off whatever is around as he happens to be playing, which I feel like is an excellent showcase of the game. You know, where, where you know, you might have others that are, you know, very story-focused and literally just showing you the, the main plot of the game. You may have others that are very completionist and, you know, going around and collecting every doodad and what's it. Um, this one is just more of, you know, 
He's just he's just playing and enjoying himself and showing off that the game is very enjoyable. Uh, it's also a game that even if I had the system for it, which at the moment it's PlayStation Four exclusive, and I don't have one of those, um, I would not play it because, as I learned from um, the new Zelda game, Breath of the Wild, uh, I get video game vertigo, which is in a more like realistic world type game. You get up somewhere high and you look around down. You look around and. You personally, the person holding the controller, start getting dizzy and not feeling so great, which is... Tried lowering the frame rate? (laughs) It's just, it's a super fun thing, and it means that there's really a lot of, like, newer AAA games that I'm just never, ever going to be able to play now. But that's okay, because I can watch other people play it, and that's fun. So, uh, Dave? I did mine. I know. It was Overclocked Remix. I know. You also read chapters 19 through 21 of Mistborn, the Final Empire. Sure. Uh, do you want me to go over 16 through 18? Just a quick little flyby. Yeah, give us a give us that a quick was, overview of that. Last week. If okay, you, I didn't if you don't write, mind also. I didn't write a whole lot of uh, notes for 16 and 17. Not as much happens in them, so fly through whatever it down. So, chapter 16, Vin wakes up, returns to Felice, talks to Sazed about keepers. And finds out that Mare, Kelsier's former love interest, now deceased, was suspected as the one who betrayed Kelsier in the, the big job on uh, Black Rock Spire. And uh, also kind of make a big deal about the scars. And I was thinking maybe that they were self-inflicted, but that actually gets addressed down in Chapter 21. So uh, I just forget I said that. Uh, chapter 17, Ben picks out a dress. Mare had a picture of a flower, and she was a tin eye, we learn. And Kelsier seen that picture of a flower, and apparently there was uh, some time in the past, uh, before the Lord Ruler came to power, that the sun was red and grass was green, and there wasn't ash falling from the sky all the time. And Kelsier also comments that Vin sort of remem- uh, resembles Mare and reminds him of her, and he kind of sees her as, uh, almost sees her as a daughter, and sense so that's why he's really protective of all right so uh chapter 18 is actually really important lots of stuff goes down here it takes place at a ball and uh, i think out of everything that happens in chapter 18 the most important part i'll just read it straight from the book women are like thunderstorms they're beautiful to look out and sometimes they're nice to listen to but most of the time they're just plain inconvenient so that's chapter 18 um no i'm just kidding so chapter 18 takes place at a ball at a, a lesser, a less prestigious house than House Venture, but still an important one. I don't, so important that I can't even remember what it was. I think it's the one that Sean is from. But uh, so Vin arrives at the ball. Ellen immediately plops down next to him with a pile of books and kind of intimidates all of her would-be suitors that she's trying to tap for information. So Vin uh, finds one guy who's brave enough to talk to her and she convinces him that Ellen is looking over her like an older brother and sure enough where it gets out among the other bachelors and people are less intimidated by Ellen who again is Lord Venture's son and so Ben gets to dance with a bunch of guys and she learns that Ellen was once engaged to Sean Alariel. I guess that was it. They're at House Alariel for this ball if I remember correctly. And then 
Vin is still sore from, you know, her wounds and she burns pewter a little bit, which I kind of wrote down because I thought they told her not to burn pewter because they don't want her to get addicted to it like a painkiller sort of addiction. And then Lady Sean, Ellen's former, maybe still, it's kind of complicated, fiance, wires Val. Bum, bum, bum. So... Uh, Vin makes her way over to Sean's table, and Sean tries to allomance info about Ellen out of Vin while her terraceman, that is Sean's terraceman, goes to peek at Ellen's books. And Vin realizes what's going on. She can see that the ter- she's trying to, you know, Sean is trying to distract her so that the terraceman can go spy on Ellen. So she says, "Oh, I left my terraceman running," and runs back to the table. And Sean's dude coyly walks away. That's what I wrote down. And Vin picks up a suspicious-looking book of Ellen's called Weather Patterns of the Northern Dominance. But as she opens it up, she finds out that it is uh, some a little bit of backlash against the Lord Ruler and the Empire. So uh, she finds out. We'll find out in the later chapters what that's about. And then... And then she notices Ellen leaves with a couple guys. Well, she and uh, Sazed notice that Ellen runs off and leaves the party with a couple of his supposed, supposed contending house members, rivals. And that's chapter 18. All right, that brings us up to this week. So I'll do what I did last time and just kind of read my bullet points. And I wrote a lot of them down for chapter 19. First, I wrote in italics. Quan sounds awesome. I wrote it in italics because it refers to the little italicized text. And speaking of the italicized text, I theorized this before actually finding it out <laughs> this week. But I theorized, and I unfortunately didn't get a chance to say it on the podcast, but I was thinking that the book that they found in Black Rock Spire was actually the source of the excerpts that we see in the italicized text at the top of the chapters and. We find that out, I think, in like chapter 20, actually. No, we, we had your back, Dave. We mentioned last week that you totally called it. Okay, nice. Okay, so chapter 19, Quan sounds awesome. All right, Kelsier versus Tekiel, Coinshot Lurcher, Corpse of Lord Char's Entrone, Political Shenanigans, Chaos was his strongest ally in fostering a house war, Hoyd the Hobbit Informant, House Renault Rumor, Valeland, Secret Dealings, Lady Sean Elarial is Soother. Scott disguised for Lord Straff Venture. More political shenanigans. Survivor, <laughs> Rebellion, 11th Medal. And then there's kind of a chapter, a break in the middle of the chapter there. So I'll, I'll go back, go over these notes. So Quan sounds awesome. He's a, a terrorist that I think was one of the first terrorist on the Lord Ruler side before the Ascension. And then kind of gets tired of him and at least starts to spite him, if not outright. Uh, contend with him, but he sounded like a cool dude, so hopefully we get a little bit more backstory with Quan. So he's kind of like uh, against the norm of the terrorist men who are kind of really lofty and trying to sound really wise. He seems more down to earth than the other terrorist men. I think we're down to whatever planet they live on. Scatrial. Okay. So anyway, he's not really important. He just—it sounded like an interesting backstory character that I hope we get to hear more about. 
All right, so Kelsier is invading Keep Tekiel, and he notices that the great houses are starting to increase their security, which is kind of what he was hoping for to make the houses more paranoid. Uh, wrote down Coinshot and Lurcher just because those are new terms for specific types of mistings that we hadn't heard yet. Coinshot, I think, is obviously someone who pushes steel and uh, Lurcher. I didn't actually. I meant to actually go back to my notes and see which one it probably was. Actually, we have Soother and Rioter, Seeker and Smoker, Thug and Tin Eye. So I guess Iron Pulling is Lurching. It's the only one left. So we have Coin Shots and Lurch. All right. So he, what he's doing at Cal's Techiel is he's leaving the corpse of some dude named Lord Charles Entron. And that way the houses can just suspect one another and try to figure out, you know, who killed Lord Charles Entron. Was it somebody trying to get the, somebody trying to, you know, get on the good side of Keep Techiel? Or is it somebody who's trying to make somebody else look bad? So really nobody's going to know how this guy ended up dead. Thus, uh, political shenanigans and chaos is one of Kelsier's strongest allies in fostering a house war. Uh, hidden clock. So, I wrote this down also. Kelsier apparently has like little nooks and crannies about town where he hides stuff because he doesn't want to carry any metal on him. So he's got like a little pocket watch, like tucked away in some someone's roof or something. <laughs> and then we have Hoyd, who is a Sky informant that uh, Doxon actually let Kelsier know about. And Hoyd just kind of sells information and tries to. You know, he's more trying to get info out of Kelsier, and Kelsier gives him some, like, accidentally drops some false tips on him, and I actually purpose, which actually kind of, on that point, one of the, it was a little, I felt that it wasn't necessary for Sanderson to keep telling the audience over and over again that he was making stuff up, like, Get the point across once, and then we can be like, ah, look at this guy. No, he's like, oh, he's trying to so false information. And then he says something. It's like, that was a lie. And then he says something else like, you just made that up. Like, I don't know. It was a little, it could have been written a little more subtly, but it was still good. It's still. I mean, it was still one of his earlier books. Yeah, it's still, it's, it's adding to, you know, Everything that Kelsier is putting together to make every, you know, every individual part of the plan work. So it's it's good for the audience to realize that that's what he's doing. Okay. So what he actually wants to talk to Hoyt about, his number one goal, unbeknownst to Hoyt, is that he wants to see which rumors are circulating about House Renault, his uh, fake nobleman, Vin slash Lady Villette's fake uncle. And the number one thing he gets out of it is that uh, people are suspecting that uh, Lady Villette and Ellen are now a couple and that Ellen was assigned by Lord Venture to watch over Lady Villette. And, you know, this this party that happened in the previous chapter was actually earlier earlier this evening from where Kelsier is right now. And I, the book tries to play it off like 
oh, this is just a rumor that started tonight and it's spreading really fast. But I'm actually kind of wondering if maybe there's some truth behind it that maybe Ellen really was supposed to watch over Lady Valette and we as readers are trying to be fooled into thinking that there isn't really any substance to that. And also, apparently, there were secret dealings between House Renault and House Venture, which, you know, leads into the Ellen watching over Valette. And that kind of, uh, I don't really know what that's quite referring to, if they just came up with that because, you know, why else would Valette be working with Ellen and you know, uh, House Renault is amassing weapons, so people are trying to guess at what they're doing with the weapons. Uh, so then we also find out that Lady Sean Alariel, Ellen's fiance, is a soother. But we already knew that because it happened last chapter. And then Kelsier puts on a, you know, he gets off his nobleman disguise, puts on a Scott disguise so that he can actually meet with uh, Lord Venture himself and more political shenanigans. Uh, so this is, this, I was really taken aback by this scene where Kelsier is talking with Lord Venture because Lord Venture seems to be volunteering information to an informant that he should not be volunteering such that, uh, you know, he doesn't get any info on House uh, Renault, but he does find out that there were rumors circulating about a revolution, that the survivor of Hatson is real and is amassing people to overthrow the Lord Ruler. And I really find it kind of nuts that Lord Venture is just giving this information out freely to an informant, especially an informant that wasn't really providing him with any kind of useful tools. So I don't know if maybe Venture was kind of making stuff up, and trying to spread lies like uh like kind of Kelsier was doing to Hoyt, but and it just seemed really like it seemed really weird for Lord Venture to just flagrantly talk about rumors of a revolution to somebody who basically buys and sells secrets. Okay, and then so yeah, there's survivor of Hatson forming a rebellion, and they've discovered an eleventh medal. Nobody knows what it does yet. It's kind of a legend right now. All right, and that's the kind of like the breaking point in that chapter. But then toward the end of the chapter, Kelsey returns to Debrief Inn, and they find that the book she found in on Ellen's table was Book of the False Dawn, which is kind of a an anti Lord Ruler pamphlet. It's, uh, it's really dry and boring, so nobody even bothered to read it because it was so boring, and they didn't bother to. Well, they didn't bother to ban the book because if they ban the book, it draws attention to it. So they just decided, you know, no one's going to want to read this anyway. So we'll just we'll just let it exist and fall into obscurity. And Vin shows for concern for Ellen and asks if Ellen could maybe be an ally. And Kelsey is just like, ah, Vin, don't fall for his tricks. Uh, he doesn't tell her that, but he's thinking that as he talks to her, which Actually, it brings me to another point that this book shares something really important in common with Elantris, and that is that both of them are written in third-person limited, but it jumps around to different characters so that we can get viewpoints from different characters. Now, it's not as structured as it is in Elantris, where you have a triad chapter structure, 
but you know there are Kelsier chapters and there are Vin chapters, so we get to see the internal workings of both of the main characters. So I think that's really cool. I like uh, I like this style. Um, that's actually a pretty common um, sort of writing style in fantasy, just in general. Um, Wheel of Time did it significantly, so yeah, pretty common thing. Yeah. If you enjoy it, you should read more fantasy. All right, so we're up to chapter 20. Kelsier and Yaden get in ready to visit caves. Marsh can teach bronze strat. Vin burns tin to listen to ska gossip. Survivor, 11th medal. Vin likes her new heart. Her new crew, heart. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Kelsier and Yaden are getting ready to visit the caves where Hammond is training up the rebellion army. And, you know, Kelsier wants Marsh to spend some time with Vin so Marsh can teach her a little bit about bronze. And Kelsier teaches, or uh, rather Marsh, Kelsier's brother, teaches her that, uh, you know, you can use bronze to actually detect not only the general area of where allomancia is happening, but if you're really in tune with the way the different metals vibrate, you can feel you know, exactly which metal that they're using. You can feel how much metal, how much power the Mistborn or Misting has left in their reserve. So there's more info that you can gather than just, ah, there's Alamancy happening over there. Kind of like a, the Detect Evil spell. I mean, in round one, you can detect the presence of evil, but if you continue to channel the spell, you can see you know, how far away it is and how many hit dice of creatures there are of evil in the vicinity. <laughs> oh, man. What am I not going to make? I love how game? you always bring it back to D&D. Uh, love that. <laughs> that's my my biggest context for fantasy Dungeons & Dragons. It's probably what I've spent the most time on since I didn't, didn't read too much as a youth or even as an adult. I've read a lot of Dungeons and Dragons manuals, <laughs> third edition. So an, an interesting um, part of the magic system in Mistborn is every single person on the planet has the ability to turn undead. Unfortunately, there are no undead. <laughs> mm, spoiler. So Vin likes her new crew, which kind of, you know, kind of evolving. She's kind of evolving. She's learning to trust people. She's learning to like people even. But there's always this this voice of Reen, her older brother, in the back of her head, her brother that abandoned her. Uh, and, cool oh boy, there's the, you know, the biggest thing that Reen taught her and was an example of was anybody can betray you. And now the, the implication of that lesson, anybody can betray you, is... You can betray anybody. And that is why I still suspect that Vin isn't really in this 100% and that there's a good chance that she might end up turning on everybody at some point. And so she's really starting. She's falling for this Ellen guy. She's really starting to enjoy her noble life. I, I don't know. My noble life. Uh, so that's, you know, that's one prediction. Another one, I think, I think I might have mentioned this last time, actually, but I think that Marsh may have actually been the one who betrayed Kelsier in the big job. Maybe, 
he didn't expect it to go the way he wanted, that the way that it ended up at far. Did I say this last time? I don't remember if I said it or just thought it. I think you did. Okay. I remember it but anyway. Yeah, there, there did seem to be a love triangle between Marsh and Mare and Kelsier. Uh, my, I also kind of had the thought that maybe some of these secret dealings that Kelsier heard about from the Hobbit guy were maybe there was some truth behind them and maybe Sezed can't really be trusted. I mean, it's a guy whose job it is to take on the personality and life of somebody else and fool others. So who knows? Or is it? Could he actually be the real Sezed? And maybe he got swapped with the guy they thought they killed. I don't know. You mean I don't Renew? think you mean Sezed. Not Sezed. I mean Renew. No, Sezed's my bro. He's good. Okay. Oh, chapter 21. And Kelsier is on the boat, on the canals, on his way to see the, the army. And he is reading a book. And he act, what he's reading actually is a copy of Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. What <laughs> we see Got is em. taken straight from the introduction of, of Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. So that is so meta. I thought that was really cool the way Brandon kind of inserted his own work into his own work. Really, Mistborn, uh, the lunchbox. Really clever. Mistborn. I could imagine Kelsier having a Survivor of Hathson lunchbox. <laughs> you know the video is always out before the movie even hits theaters, right? <laughs> well, okay. So actually, he is... What he's reading out of the book is from the italicized portion of the text in the introduction of Mistborn, which, and we know that to be a translation of the book that uh, Vin was reading, or that Vin took from Black Rock Spire. So I cannot remember what it's actually Black called. Black Rock Spire. Just. Credit Shaw? Credit Shaw, yeah. But I like Black Rock Spire. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah, I mean, I knew exactly what you meant every time you said it, so I think it works. I, too, spent far too much time in that dungeon. (laughs) I got the achievement. Hmm. Leroy Jenkins' achievement. Okay, so Kelsier starts reading the Chronicles of Lord Ruler pre-Ascension, and then he gets to the caves, and we find out he has spelunkophobia. He does not like being in caves because it reminds him of being tortured. And that's understandable. Wait, wait, wait. I have to say appreciation for spelunkophobia. It's not a word? Yeah, it's a good word. I like it. <laughs> Very appropriate. Not claustrophobic. I'm afraid to play not... spelunky. Holy crap. <laughs> Jet, or Craig, what would you actually do if you were afraid to I mean, I wouldn't play Spelunky. What about Spelunky 2? Oh my gosh, I can't wait. <laughs> it's your good thing, by the way. Anyway. So, so Kelsier is so, uh, yeah, he's not, not a fan of caves. He's not a fan of caves. He's not claustrophobic, because he's okay with tight spaces. They even make it a point to say other people in Hassan became claustrophobic, but Kelsier didn't mind tight spaces. So he's not claustrophobic. He's Spelunkophobic. So, so it's yeah. actually called bathophobia. Oh, that's the fear of the depths. Yeah, that's water, not cave. Whatever, spelunkophobia. Wait, cave phobia is called spelunkophobia. Is this real? Oh, it's spelled with a C. It's actually a real word. That's amazing. I spelled it wrong. I spelled it with a K. <laughs> I spelled it K-O. But it is it's actually real. a word. 
You made up a word. A real word. I knew it all along. Wow. You made up a word, and it happened to be a real word that someone else made up before then. I'm scared. It's funny. Wow. I, I write the notes in on my phone, but then I read them off on my browser because I'm recording sitting at my PC. And I had the little red squiggle, so I was like, oh, maybe it wasn't a real word. But I right-clicked on it, and it turned out I had just spelled spelunkophobia wrong. Wow. Well done. Wow. <laughs> we have gone full circle. You've made up a word that already exists. Okay. So we learned more about the scars and how he got the scars by reaching through jagged crystals to get at ATM geodes. So they probably weren't self-inflicted. It's probably just what happens when you reach through jagged, sharp rocks to reach other rocks. Uh, so anyway, Kelsier very reluctantly decides listen to Ham ramble on with his philosophical rhetoric because he just wants to be distracted from the spooky, scary caves. And Ham begins talking about how, you know, what if uh, what if Scow are actually meant to be subordinate to the nobles? You know, there's some physical distinctions between them, like uh, nobles don't reproduce as fast and they're taller than Scow. And Scow can only have missed powers if they have uh, noble blood within five generations. Uh, so, you know, Kelsier is just like, yeah, whatever, dude, you're wrong. But then he actually stops to think about it, and rather than not so much thinking, what if this is true, but thinking, what if some people in this army that are in the rebellion with us are thinking this way as well? So... Uh, what he does is he decides to make an example of somebody at their big banquet. He says, "Ham, who's a uh, who's a uh, you know who's kind of a dissenter here? Who's sitting at dinner right now? That's you know not really completely on board with what we're doing." And Ham points to one guy who's like a little scrawny dude with big glasses and a red cape. And Kelsier's like, "That guy's a nerd. Pick someone else." So he picks this other guy named Bilg. And Bilg's like this big burly guy with a vest and a beard. And, you know, he could actually start a rebellion within the rebellion. So what he does is he pushes on his emotions a little bit to get him to speak out against Kelsier while he's giving a big speech to everybody. And then he gets, uh, you know, Bilg all rioted up. And Bilg's like, ah, and then... Kelsier's like, uh, I'm not going to fight you because I'll totally kick your butt because I'm your boss. And I'm not allowed to fight you because I'm your boss. So he gets this other guy, Demo, who we had seen earlier in the caves and somebody who Hammond commended and recently promoted. But he's not quite as big. He's not quite as skilled as Bilg. So Kelsier uses a little bit of Alamancy to help Demo win the fight. But, you know, Bilg gets beat up. A bunch, but he decides to stop it before killing Bill, even though he initially wanted to, but he just decided not to. And this scene was complete bullcrap because we've already learned it's quite clear that you could only push and pull metals directly away from or toward you. You can't like he has he has these guys wearing studded armor, so he can move demo around to dodge Bill's weapon, and he can control how hard Demo swings and he can stop builds. Like, no, that's bullcrap. He's moving things in all different kinds of directions. If he were really following the Alamancy rules, 
he would have to be dancing all around the room to get the right angles, and it would be completely suspicious, and everybody would Maybe, call him out. Maybe, but it depends on what his bad. angle is, and, like, where he's currently standing. Maybe, I mean, he's just tweaking slightly to do certain things, so I all you have to that. do is a little push and pull. So you get you get two directions, pushing and pulling. Maybe that's enough. Maybe to, like, to, you know, maybe to increase or decrease the strength of a sword swing, but to actually, like, sidestep Somebody wearing studded armor to dodge an attack. I, I don't know. But I mean, you're absolutely right. It really should be, you know, from your point to the metal, pushing and pulling. Maybe it just wasn't described very well. I don't know. Or it maybe it really is just complete bullcrap. It's like, it oh, doesn't this ruin cool. the story for me at all. I just like, I think that the editor should have grabbed kinda... that. <laughs> okay. I actually had this in mind while I was listening to this, this scene. And um, I just imagined Kelsier just sort of walking around the perimeter of the fight as it was going on. Like, he stayed, just just based on, you know, what happened, he stayed, for the most part, directly behind Demu. Um, but every once in a while, he'd, you know, move off to the side. Uh, like, sort of nonchalantly walking and watching the fight. Yeah. Like, it worked fine for me. Okay. I guess, and sometimes, like... If people are watching a fight, they might stand around there to get a better view of what's going on. Maybe a bunch of people were moving around, too. I don't know. It just... It seemed like they kind of overpowered him for just a little bit. But, like I, I said... I In an earlier chapter, when Kelsier is fighting by... Uh, I think he was throwing a metal paperweight around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I had the same thoughts that you're having. Like, hang on. I'm trying, I'm trying actually, to... I didn't have a problem with the paperweight. I didn't have a problem. The paperweight's around him, so orbiting around him is fine, because you can go in any direction around himself. No, you can only go directly toward or away from you, but with a lot of practice, you could basically manipulate. Yeah, it can come towards you, you, but you also move, and therefore you can sort of create an orbit. I didn't have a problem with the paperweight. It's uh, just difficult. It requires practice. I don't know. It's it's fine, though. I mean, the point was that Kelsier wanted to get, like, a weaker dude to beat up on a dissenting bigger dude to instill carriage into people and, well, actually straight up lie to them and tell them that he could pass on his allomantic powers. And Ham is very upset about this, as he should be. And I don't know where this is going to go because Demu's going to think he's got allomantic powers now and he won't. So I think... I do uh, want to point something out real quick that... I'm not sure how well known the knowledge of different alamances are to like common people. Like this is stuff nobles are doing, right? Like you mentioned, Ska yeah. don't really develop these powers within five generations, or so, so we hear. Um, they might they not really know how alamancy works. They actually talk about mm-hmm. that in this chapter. That straight up, they don't. Yeah. Like, like freaking so no him one understands. And on a sword and soothing and writing like they don't really know what's happening and he oh, can... i'm not saying that they shouldn't believe him i'm saying that it was kind of dumb for him to lie to everybody mm. but he just wants to be i don't know he and it, the chapter kind of ends on this whole mysterious note or like ammons thinks that he's just trying to puff up his ego and that's what it seems like you know he just he wants to be as legendary as he possibly can like, oh the survivor of hatson that could bestow power upon the common folk and then Kelsier's like in inner monologue he's like 
well, you just got to do secret stuff sometimes. So that's just kind of where the chapter ends off. Yes, those arc words repeated throughout the series, <laughs> you just got to do secret stuff sometimes. <laughs> oh, wait. There was always another secret. That's the yeah, one. Sure, gotta do secret stuff. <laughs> All right. I think that's our t-shirt idea. <laughs> Future t-shirt idea right there. You just gotta do secret stuff sometimes. Writing that down. <laughs> Which actually I can get behind. You don't want to tell everybody everything all the time. But you also shouldn't give people a false sense of their strength. That's my biggest problem with Kelsier definitely has a certain way of doing things. Um, all right, so that was a good recap. What do, what do you got for guesses? Um, any characters jumping out at you as being especially interesting in this section? What, what you got? Give me some insight. I liked him in Chapter 21. I already kind of liked him when he was introduced alongside Breeze. Just, just this, this big muscle-bound guy, but, you know, because he's a... He's a He's a thug, Burns Pewter. But, you know, he's also really philosophical. And, you know, he's the one asking the tough questions and really trying to figure out the morality of the situation and, you know, what's what's right, not just, hey, this sucks, let's overthrow the government, you know. So I like, I like the only one that's talking about, uh, so what happens after the Lord Ruler is defeated? <laughs> yeah, he's definitely the pragmatic one. But it's really cool. He's like he's a big tough guy, but he's not just a meathead. He's he's really a deep thinker. So I really like him. And uh we get to see a little bit of Yaden in this chapter as well, the actual leader of the rebellion. Kelsier isn't really the leader, he's kinda of more like the figurehead and he's he's the leader of the gang that's helping the rebellion. But, you know, the actual rebellion leader is Yaden and uh now the now the scholar will actually get to meet him and work with him in their training. So, you know, we didn't get too much of uh Yaden in this chapter. He's kind of like he's kind of like the least important important character. Because <laughs> you know, he's he has a really big role in all of this, but we don't get to see much of him. So got a little glimpse of him. He's he kind of is starting to take more of a liking to Kelsier and starting to take upon his duties as rebellion leader, and he looks good in his uniform. All right. Um, anything else before we boot you off? I well, I also wanted to mention Ellen a little bit, Ellen Venture, and he, every character but Vin seems to think that he's just kind of toying with her emotions, and he's only flirting with her to, you know, make his father, take his father off. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, there might still actually develop some kind of romance between them. I just hope that uh, Vin doesn't betray the rebellion for him. But uh, And also, I know, like, I feel like Reen has to come back into the story at some point. I don't know, maybe he's going to come in and try to lure Vin away from the rebellion or trying to leech off of her because she's wealthy and successful now. Or if we're maybe going to find out some kind of secret of why he had to leave either to protect Vin or because to protect himself because Vin was becoming dangerous. Like maybe obligators started following her around because she was secretly an Alamancer and they were the only ones that knew it. And 
Oh, th- we did actually find out that Marsh was the one who found out about Vin, Mar- of the Rebellion people, because Marsh is uh, what they call a seeker. He can detect the element. He was actually the one that felt Vin uh, push on his emotions when she back when she called it her luck, when she used her luck. She had the trace uh, elements, the metals, and the waters, and whatever else, and utensils that she ate with. Well, so... I have one thing to tell you about uh, your Reen suspicions, and that is, you just gotta do secret stuff sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> also known as Rafo. <laughs> so, alright, since uh, you and Craig are both on a bit of a time constraint, and I actually want to watch the thing that you're going to be doing... Uh, why don't we move on to the spoiler portion? Please. Give him the boot! Alright, thanks Dave. Alright, bye. See you bye, in a half Dave. hour. Alright. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. Uh, so yeah. Um, fun that he should bring up Reen, because, uh, I don't know if you guys have been looking for it or not, but, um, I've been trying, like, as we go through this, I've been trying to sort of figure out when it's Vin, um, remembering Reen, like, things that Reen has said, versus Ruin actually talking to Vin, versus, um, Ruin giving Vin an old Reen quote so that she thinks it's him, uh, or she thinks it's just herself thinking of his own, of, like, things he said to her. Okay. And mostly, I don't know. So I feel like at this point, Ruin isn't doing that much. I mean, he's doing a little bit. He has to, because this eventually leads to, to you know, what happens. Um, but I felt like I saw Ruin getting more powerful as the books went on. So I would say right now, it really is, this is stuff he said. This is just what she's remembering, given the situation. I, and I feel like it's somewhere around book two when it starts changing. Um, it's, and certainly book three is all ruined. Like Right. Um, book two is when it starts getting more obvious, but I don't know that it's ever, like, just straight up, you know, no, he wasn't bothering with, with her at all. Um, I do also think that Ruin was nudging Kelsier a little bit um, during the during the Renew Bilg fight. Oh, specifically. Okay. Yeah, specifically. I mean, Ruin has definitely been nudging Kelsier this whole time. I was going to say, I feel like Kelsier is very much in Ruin's pocket. Yeah, he's he's a little bit insane. So Ruin can, you know, nudge him a little bit. So real quick, Spoonie, since I know Tori isn't reading this, Spoonie, the bard, says in chat, Ruin even says that he's got a lot of different plays in those, and this is just one of his plays. And yeah, um, um, he also says, let's put it this way, at this time, Ruin is already influencing Zane. And yeah, absolutely. Um, anyone who is spiked is is getting a lot of Ruin. That includes Vin, when she has her earring in, which we don't get like a running counter of you know, earring in versus earring not in. Um, I would say that near the beginning of the book, when 
Um, Kelsier is first starting to train Vin in Allomancy, and she asks him about the earring. I think him encouraging her to keep that was definitely a ruined nudge on him. Yeah, but he had no suspicion it would be a spike at that point. Well, it doesn't matter. It's it's that the reason he says, yes, you should definitely keep this. Uh, I Does mean, he, he actually he, phrase it that way? Well, he couches it in terms of like practicality of, you know, bare minimum, you've got something to shoot at someone later. Um, but I'm pretty sure the reason that he says that, that she should totally keep this earring that, you know, might stand out in different circumstances, might, you know, make her less useful as the Lady Valette, which, you know, wasn't in the plans at the time, but was eventually going to be a thing, especially considering what Kelsey was trying to do with, with Vin. Um, I mean, we know Ruin, you know, was an influence of making been be spiked in the first place. Right. So it's not like he doesn't know anything about her. It's just, yeah. Um, so yeah, Ruin is definitely exerting influence on anyone who's been spiked. And also, he's capable of exerting influence on anyone who is mentally unstable. Um, that is, you know, Vin's mom. Zane. Zane. Well, Zane is also spiked. It, well, he's both. Like, he's insane and he's spiked. Except that his insanity was a voice telling him to kill people all the time that we Same later learn was ruined the whole time. Spike. Yeah, maybe. Um, but Kelsier's old mentor, Gemmel. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was definitely being influenced by Ruin. Um, the whole concept of the 11th medal was, I'm pretty sure, Ruin's part of Ruin's machinations. Eh, machinations. Um, the Legendarium so started doing that. And it's stuck, and I can't not do it. So, uh, I like something else Spoonie the Bard mentioned, which is, I liked Dave's suspicion on Renault, which is actually sort of appropriate. Oh, that's going to be really fun in the next book. Yeah, it is. Because he's totally going to hold on to that, and, and when, like, there's a couple of chapters where it looks like he's definitely the traitor. And, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. that's going to be really fun. I mean, he technically is the traitor uh, in that book. No, he isn't. Not not Re not Renault the or not not sorry, Tensoon, not Orsier. Right. Let me put it that way. Now Renault was who I was thinking of. Yes, thank you, thank you, Ufir. Oh, you're talking. Oh, I thought we were talking about yeah. I Orsier. I got my I got my overly French names confused. Okay, so so what Spoonie was saying is that. Orseer is yes. suspicious, and you know what? That's sort of funny, because once Tensoon gets there... That will also be good, yes. That will be good. But I, but that I doesn't mean, happen until after, like, that's the next book. Some people trash on the second book. I've I've read, I've read poor reviews of it. It is a little bit slower, but I really, really enjoyed the Find the Chandra plotline. It's one of my favorites in... All six Mistborn books published to date. Hmm. Like, okay. It's just, it's this incredibly fun uh, plotline that just stretches through the whole book. And yeah, it's very good. Um, I, mean, I, li I like, I mean, I like all the books um, for different reasons. But some, some parts I, I would say are more interesting than others. Um, uh, yeah, we also have in these chapters our second ever mention of Hoyd. 
which we didn't really go into it back in Elantris because he was barely in it in Elantris. Like, he gets one very short scene, doesn't do much, uh, and it was right at the end during the whole avalanche, so we kind of glossed over it. Uh, but yeah. here, here we get Hoyd. We get for real Hoyd doing for real Hoyd things. Well, his name's Ooh. mentioned in Elantris, right? He changed it, so specifically yes. he's called up. But but Dave didn't notice that was the same name, did he? No. Which I feel like it's definitely going to stand out by the time Warbreaker comes around. Because it's like, here's a storyteller. His name's Hoyd. And it's like, wait a minute. I heard that name before. Well, maybe, maybe not. Um, just because he isn't mentioned by name in books two or three of Mistborn. Right. It, um, it'll be a while. Like, we know who he is when he shows up in those. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and then, yeah, two of them would have been during the Era 2 stuff. And I think I remember, I don't think he actually gets named in the, in the third book. So, Yufir doesn't know. Keep okay. in mind, Yufir's chilling here in chat, in the spoiler chat. Alright, well, that's at his own risk. That's him. I'm just saying, we're mentioning Hoyt, and he's like, who, what? Because he's only read Elantris and Mistborn at this point. All right, well, read faster. <laughs> you know what? You already failed a test. Go ahead and just give up on your educational career and and just oh. just get really into the into the reading. Like, be nice. <laughs> no, he's he's gonna he's gonna come back from that test. But it was um, close. Say what you guys want. The spoiler thing is up. It's really at viewer's discretion at this point. So, if you don't want to get spoiled, you're going to have to mute and not read. If you don't mind some spoilers, continue. Uh, Tori, you've been super quiet for a bit. Uh, anything going on on your end? Yeah, I'm just listening. Um, so, I was looking at the annotations and, um, so Sanderson says that originally Ven was going to go to the caves, um, and that the scene with the caves would have been two to three chapters instead of just the one. How do you guys think that would have worked? Um, I'm pretty sure there was a good reason it was cut and swapped around. Because that yeah, sounds right. like it would have dragged on forever. Um, but yeah, like, the pacing in Mistborn is pretty pretty quick. And, like, it's it's a very tightly plotted book. Like, we have gone through six months uh in the course, like, we passed six months, most of six months, in the course of, like, five chapters, because not a lot happened then, so we didn't need to talk about it. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very tightly plotted book. The pacing is excellent. Hanging around in the caves for three chapters with Vin would have probably yeah. just dragged us down and made it go super slow. Agreed. But, um, so also in these chapters, we get our first big giant in-depth explanation of Allomancy uh, when Marsh is uh, talking to Vin. And um, oh, I also wanted to mention Dave's uh, little chart that he colored for us. His oh, Allomancy. yeah. Uh, it was so cute. That was like, it was like a kindergarten art assignment, but... <laughs> um, Which, where is that? I forget where he put that. It's It's somewhere in the Discord. I'm going to look. Um, oh, here it is. I found it. We should pin that. Right? Yeah. But, um, so we were looking at, um, last week we talked about, um, how, um, 
What were we? Let me find our notes. I'm really glad you have notes because I have no idea where, where you're going with this. Shards fit. What? I I am really glad you have notes because I have no idea where you're going with this. The theory where shards fit into the Alamantic chart. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I like that one. I linked that ages ago. Um, we sort of touched upon it a little bit last week, uh, and you weren't here for that, Craig. So we no. were going to bring it up again. Um, this was in response to a Facebook comment um, that I won't go into again. Uh, but yes, um, basically the the core idea one one more time is that um, since Brandon really sort of finalized all of his all of his concepts of the Cosmere while writing the Mistborn trilogy, um, it stands to reason then that the the Mistborn magic system would serve as sort of a a core concept for the overall Cosmere magic system. Um, okay. uh, since there are 16 shards and we know, you know, some of them, some of their names, and then can sort of work out their intents either based on what we've seen of them in the books or just sort of extrapolating from their names and a little bit of information on their magic systems. Um, we can then, like, single them out into um, one of these 16 slots on the um, on the Mistborn metal system. Uh, Alamancy specifically. Uh, splitting things up into physical, uh, mental, temporal, and enhancement. And then there is external and internal, and then pushing and pulling. So each shard would then have three of these designations. So in the quadrant, and then pushing or pulling, internal or external. And then with the shards that we don't know, uh, anything about we like we don't even have a a name for them yet. We can then sort of extrapolate and make guesses uh, based on just what's what's still available. Yep, right. Um, Although I will have to say we have to be careful. Just like Dave's nice color coded chart, we could be missing some info. Oh, absolutely. This is this is pure you know speculation and theory. But and I was going to say. We know preservation loves the number sixteen. That's his thing. So, I think we give him the number sixteen, as in this is the number that is close to that particular shard. Just like you know, we have uh, what is it, ten uh, for honor? Yeah, there's there's a there's an arc number that is then also tied to each shard, um, but it, it's only sort of secondary to this. Uh, to this intent placement on the chart uh, concept, and well, it doesn't the, really the line up perfectly. Sixteen specifically is that that sort of given we know there's sixteen shards, and he loves the number sixteen. It's sort of like he is the the last of the shards. Perhaps that has nothing to do with anything, but it also could mean that he's a little more in tune with just the way uh, the Cosmere Investiture works in general and he's more in tune with it and he likes the nice partition and how everything works so maybe it stands a reason that there's the similarities between the shards and 
the different Alimantic quadrants. Or not quadrants, but divisions. Sixteenthlets. Sure. You know what? Dave made up a word and it turned out to be a real word. I'm doing the same. Sixteenthlets, real word, 100% right now. I'm not looking that up. I'm not even bothering to look that up. <laughs> that, that's not how words do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, yeah so... What, what do we want to get into uh, else? Oh, well, I had I had a thing. Uh, I did want to make a joke about uh, Band Book Week and how, you know, all the all the nobles at Noble School were were assigned a band ministry book to read. Go on. That's it. That that was the full joke. Oh, I that didn't is really have joke. it worked out. It kind of petered out before it got to the joke part. Yeah. Like and a, then you have a proto joke. Yeah. I have like I have seventeen percent of a joke. Mm. Not a six sixteenth <laughs> plate? Um, so actually, does your school participate in Band Book Week, Tori? My library? Or your library, yeah. 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 Libraries and schools are the same thing. Everyone knows that. Are there banned books, like, in the U.S.? Uh, well, there are not not nationwide banned books, but different schools and townships and small libraries occasionally will target a book and... That's, that's sad. That makes me sad. It's sad. Sad. So what? Your your library will read those? Like you actually have a thing? Oh yeah, we. Um, so basically, every time a book gets banned like that, uh, the American Library Association uh, adds it to the banned books list and promotes it. <laughs> it nice. So banning books does not work, you guys. It just makes people want to read them more. Absolutely. And, uh, so, yeah, uh, every year when Band Books Week, week rolls around, uh, we get out the list and we put all those books on display and just promote the heck out of them. And, um, is it mostly just Harry Potter every year? Well, Harry Potter is on there every year, but no, it's, um, a lot of the classics and things like that. Hmm. Well, I mean, so that sort of brings up a point how you mentioned that banning books doesn't work. It just makes people want to read it more, which is probably why these books exist in the first place in, um, uh, shoot, uh, Skadril. Why can't I remember the name of the, the city? Um, Luthadel? Luthadel, yes. Sorry. I, so, I could say Ellendel. It's so yeah, weird when, that you when remember. Here, um, mentions that banning the book doesn't work, and so they just kind of ignore it and yeah. hope it way that that really is the way to get rid of a book you don't want just ignore it well especially if it's a super dry text that also has a misleading title like weather patterns in the northern dominance i think it was southern dominance something like that like even if i knew that this was a scathing takedown of the lord ruler's government i mean i probably wouldn't bother just based on the name <laughs> well, that's sort of the point, though. It was given that name so it could try to hide a little bit, I guess. But yeah, yeah pretty appropriate. Um, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of running dry. Yeah, unfortunately, I do, I can't talk that long since I do have a big race in like 15 minutes. So, Tori, which of course will go late, but it happens. Got anything to end us out on? Um, no. <laughs> Excellent. So, all right. Uh, good episode.
We clocked in over an hour. We did all right. Most of that was Dave going over six chapters, where a lot of stuff happened. Because Mistborn is tightly plotted and doesn't follow the same chapter triad pointlessly thing that Elantris did. I mean, I think it's fair that a bulk of it is going with the new reader experience, but um, just unfortunately the lack of time, because I would love to go more into like the different, how the shards fit into the different realm. I, I sort of wish I was there last week to, to have partake in that conversation with you guys, but I'm sure it'll come up. Um, I did want to mention real quick, since we actually went off track, I want to go back on. I linked this to you guys in the spoiler chat about the, the whole like the wavelength thing. Um, right, and I feel like that's something that we could probably connect to this Alimantic chart thing also, just yeah. how all of it goes together, just the number theory and the wavelength theory and the... Um, we need to stop calling it the oh, number just, theory. The number portion of it was, like, secondary, it's just the bit that stuck out to me a while back. No, I, I feel like that, that that is a discussion point that we could definitely get into more later. Just we've only touched upon it right now. Like we need to, I, I need to print off lists and charts and things and have the, the notes, yes. like the, the big board in front of me, like, like this is my murder investigation room with like lines pinned to other lines. And, you know, so before we really get into this, but, when we started this, you weren't interested in, like, theory crafting at all. You you explicitly said that it wasn't something that you enjoyed. Did we just turn you around on that? Well, I'm not sure, um, because some of the theory crafting that I never think about is like, hey, what would happen if an Alamancer was also a Radiant? Like, yeah. Yeah, that's still something I don't know. I don't care. But the idea that there are still uh, six shards out there and we don't know what they are, and I feel like... But we can sort of deduce the sh- what they're in. Yeah, I feel are. like if we look at the shards that exist and if we find a pattern that we could figure out what the other shards are. Yeah. And I kind of have my own little theory about how... We're going to see them mentioned in the books, like, once we go back and read through them. You know, the, the very next time we learn what a new shard is, if we go back and reread the previous books. Like how we keep seeing see- Fortune mentioned all over the place with the capital yes. F? Well, yeah. Yeah. Fortune, Fortune with a capital, with capital F, F is is one of those sort of core concepts, uh, like right. connection and identity. Well, that's as an example. We just there could be these intents that hey, look, there it is mentioned right there. Yeah, um, like oh, unity, which is multiple. Maybe right, I really feel like charts that are linking the shards to those core concepts. So maybe all the shards have a core concept, and so some of these core concepts we're seeing that don't have a shard to them. Maybe that's a future shard that we'll hear about later. Um, okay, so I have two quick things to, to, well, I want to touch upon something real quick. You don't have time. We have time. You don't? I have time. You don't have time. Let me finish and I'll have time. You won't, because no, you don't have time. The wavelength thing, I think, uh, I just want to really quick mention how, like, yeah, the theory is probably off base a little bit, but I did really think it was neat about how they talked about the D. But uh, destructive interference between preservation and ruin, and that might be why they're so against each other. I'm like, 
that's actually sort of neat, and we have other shards that are like that. Maybe it's just because they're such polar opposites. They are, like, on one end and the other, and we're not going to get that for others. Um, but I thought that was neat. Okay, so my two things to, to walk us out here. First off, I'm pretty sure that the fan community is vastly overdoing what the whole I am unity thing means. Yeah. I really I think it was just Dalinar swearing an oath and getting that getting that quick thing. That that quick super boost. Mm, well, so there might be something there. Though. Well, okay, yes. It's a unique situation just because Honor isn't still around and Bondsmith's but it could just be another name for honor, like unity and honor, rather than it's he Dalinar's going to become the next Adonisium or whatever, however you pronounce that. Yeah, that and is that gonna is going to combine massively, all the shards. Like that's that's a lot. That's overplayed. But maybe things. unity is just a word for honor. Um, then the final thing I want to I want to sort of walk us out on. No discussion, just a final thought. Uh, maybe we'll touch back on it next week. Uh, what if the chasm? from um, Elantris was caused by a skybreaker using the sh- using the uh, division power. And out we go. So like a world hopper? Yeah. See, that right there is the kind of theory crafting that I don't <laughs> think about. But... <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop recording now. Bye, everybody. Okay, bye. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.